nestled between Nahum and Zephaniah, you'll find the book of Habakkuk. I'll give you a few minutes to find it. It's not, it's not a book we all read frequently. I think it's very relevant for the times that we live in. When you find it, let's stand for the reading of the word. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which, is not, which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. The horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. They will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Will we not die? You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. And you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring them all up with a hook, drag them away with their net and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. Because through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and eventually slay nations without sparing? You can take a seat. I don't know how many of you write in the margins of your Bible, use highlighters, mark up your Bible. If so, what is the least marked up chapter or book in your Bible? Is it a minor prophet? I wonder about this. Am I going to be walking around in heaven and see a minor prophet that I never even read his book? Oh no, here comes Amos and he's with Obadiah. I got to go somewhere else. But we won't be that way today for... Habakkuk, because we're going to dive into Habakkuk. 
You know, a lot of us have red letter, red letter Bibles and the words of Christ are in red, but the words of God are in black. And this is a wonderful example of God speaking his mind. When you get into Job, God has a conversation with Job and God's having a conversation with Habakkuk. You know, we see things going on in our visual world that we believe we shouldn't see. Things going on that seem to press hard on our logic and reason and our sense of right and wrong. And for some unexplained reason, there seems to be an almost intrinsic desire in us to ask the question, why? And that's Habakkuk. There must be an underlying, perhaps subtle, understandable reason for these things. We feel if we get the answer to these unanswerable questions, then we can understand life and everything we observe would make more sense. And our meaning and purpose in life would be clearer and we could proceed on. Sometimes not understanding the whys in life paralyze us and we're unable to completely move on from a situation. We, we feel we could understand everything if we could just get a clear picture of it. Perhaps we do move on, but maybe a part of us still remains behind trying to investigate and figure out why this doesn't make sense. Why aren't the puzzle pieces going together? Maybe, maybe this mental itching that we have that's part of us is what prompted a lot of scientific discoveries. We're curious people. We want to know. We look at the heavens. Unfortunately, we live in a modern time where there's a lot of city pollution by light and stuff. We can't see what they saw back in those days because the stars fill from horizon to horizon. It's magnificent when you go somewhere where it's really, really dark. It's hard to find a place now where it's really, really dark, but you go somewhere, you stand at the heavens and they declare his glory. Habakkuk means, probably means one who embraces. There's little known or written about Habakkuk except for his name. The book of Habakkuk contains no direct message from God to his people. Habakkuk's not really prophesying to the nation of Judah. And I'll lay a little groundwork of where we're at in history here. Some, somewhere a little less than 200 years after David left the throne was King Uzziah. And many of us know in Isaiah chapter 6, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord lifted up. Well, King Uzziah ruled from... 70, 90 B.C. to about 70, 40 B.C. He was a great ruler in Israel. He, he made a lot of conquests, did a lot of good things, but he got very proud. And he got so proud that he thought he could go into the temple and burn incense unto the Lord. And his high priest and everyone tried to stop him, but he was so blinded by his accomplishments that he burned incense to the Lord and immediately was stricken with leprosy. He lived out the rest of his kingdom in a, isolated as lepers were in those days. King Uzziah was followed by King Jothan, who ruled Israel for, ruled Judah for 16 years from 740 to 732. King Jothan was followed by King Ahaz. 
King Ahaz was one of the really wicked kings of Israel. He ruled for 16 years. He was followed by King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was a good king. You remember from King Hezekiah, the, the nation Jerusalem was surrounded by the Assyrians and he called for prayer and fasting. And the angel of the Lord slew 185,000 Assyrians that night. And when the Assyrian army woke up and found 185,000 of their forces dead, they left. Also, Hezekiah's life was extended by 15 years. He was a good king. He was followed, however, by King Manasseh, who ruled Israel for 55 years. He was a wicked king, probably the wickedest king Israel ever had. He ruled from 687 to 642 B.C. He was followed by King Ammon, his son, who ruled only for two years. And King Ammon was killed by his servants. He was so wicked that they killed him. King Ammon was followed by his son, King Hosea. So we have 128 years of good kings and 73 years of wicked kings. And you know about wicked and things and destructive things it takes a long time to build something, and it only takes a minute to destroy it. So 73 years of wickedness in the land. Now, King Uzziah was the last good king that Israel had. He took the throne when he was eight years old, when his father was killed. The highlight of King Uzziah's reign and rule was a rediscovery of the law. You know, sometimes... We can come home from church on Sunday and put our Bible down and we don't pick up our Bible till next Sunday when we're running around the house looking for it. That's what kind of happened with the law. The wickedness upon Judah, had they'd, they'd lost the law and it was rediscovered. And we're going to read a little bit about that in 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 8 through 13. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hokiah gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king, said, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered into the hand of the workmen who have oversighted the house of the Lord. The temple had become in total disrepair because of all the wickedness of the kings. So, so King Hosiah is actually restoring the house of the Lord. When when. King Ahaz ruled, he boarded up the doors of the temple so no one could get in. That's how the kind of wickedness they had. There were altars to idols in the temple. <coughs> so he was rebuilding the house. So moreover, Shaphan, the scribe, said to the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Achim the son of Shaphan, Harshwar the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to to the, all that is written in it concerning us. The one thing that separated the Jewish people from all the other nations was this book, was the rule of the Lord. 
And they had put it aside. Because what became important to them was their own power and their own desires. So King Hosiah went through all of Israel and tore down all the altars, priests, and practices that had been observed for generations on the land. Now, during this time, the Assyrian army was being conquered by the Babylonians. The city of Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrians, fell in 612 to Nebuchadnezzar. Egypt came up to help the Assyrians against the Babylonians. It was led by Pharaoh Necho, who was leading an army to assist Syria in the defense of their second capital, Haran. And this is about 609. Pharaoh led his army near where Israel, where King Osiah went out to meet him. Pharaoh Necho had warned King Osiah not to interfere and immediately had him shot with an arrow, killing the king on sight. And he sent his body back to Jerusalem to be buried somewhere around 609 B.C. King Hosiah's son, Jehoahaz, was made king by the people and ruled for three months. He was disposed by Pharaoh Necho, who was coming back from Haran after being defeated by the Babylonians, and installed his brother, Jehoahaz's brother, Eliakim, and renamed him Jehoahim. King Jehoahim reigned from 607 to 597. He was the last king in Israel. And this is the time frame in which Habakkuk lives. This is what Habakkuk is crying out about. He is under this rule now of uh, King Jehoiachin, who is evil, who is doing wicked stuff. This is, so this is the time frame at which, and the geopolitical thing in which Habakkuk lives in. Assyria, which was a very big power, and Egypt, which was a very big power, have now been conquered by Babylon, and Babylon is now the dominant power. Babylon's armies are swift and vicious. The book of Habakkuk is, is like a journal of prayers. He asks God questions about life's problems, situations, his nation's struggles, and his earnest pleadings about God. In Habakkuk's case, God directly answers Habakkuk. Something many of us would crave. My friend used to go, my friend used to always say, what, God, what's the deal? I don't understand. But what would happen if God really answered us when we cry out to God like that? Well, I don't know how it happened, but this is Habakkuk. God answers Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is putting in strong indictment on God. He's, he's like many of us cry out, I don't understand, God. I want to understand. Like the book of Jonah, Habakkuk's book is in chronological order. God and Habakkuk are the main characters, and there's a sequential development of thought. Its format seems to be a question is asked, and it's answered, followed by a second question, which is answered, followed by a prayer and a praise and confession of faith. Habakkuk seems to be one of us. He's searching for meaning in a, in a, in a seemingly meaningless world. He's trying to make sense of things that don't make sense. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why does God allow bad things at all? Habakkuk's question is why? Unlike most prophets, he isn't confronting Judah. He's confronting God himself. Habakkuk's calling God into account and asking God why God is indifferent to the evil, violence, corruption, injustice, iniquity, perversion, and immorality that is going on in Judah. The courts in the legal system are a total failure and 
Open perversion of justice is rampant, as is the perversion of social morals, religious morals. Habakkuk is looking at his culture and he saw the nation being destroyed by the unrighteous and he vented his frustration to God. His country was in serious spiritual recession and he knows that that requires judgment. Habakkuk's prayer could be prayed today by us. We cry out, Lord, what is going on? Crying for revival, Lord, change our nation, Lord. Let us get back to the standards we have, Lord. What is going on? But what if the Lord answered our prayer by sending an invading army of ISIS fighters to our nation? And that's basically what happened. Wicked people, far wicked than the people that Habakkuk were complaining about, came and destroyed them. We have more knowledge nowadays and information about what's going on in the world, yet we seem completely powerless to affect any change in our, in our world. We feel what the psalmist writes in Psalm 11.3. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? So we get into Habakkuk's prophetic words. Habakkuk is one of the few prophets who claimed he was a prophet. And he, he says it right out, verse 1. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Zechariah and Haggai are the only other prophets who claim themselves to be prophets. In verse 2 he says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Like us, Habakkuk's impatience has grown. How long, O oh Lord? How long are you going to allow this to go on? Can't you see how messed up things are? Are you indifferent, Lord, to this? Do you not care? Do you not hear our cries? Do you not hear our pleas? He writes in verse 3, Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Does this sound like today? Am I the only one that feels like this is right out of today's headlines? This is our heart in the church. Like, Lord, what's going on? We have observed this in the last 20 years. It is an upside-down world to us. Like, how did this happen? We saw it happen every day. And yet, it seems like no matter how much kind of work you do in the garden, you wake up one day and the, and the weeds have like, taken over. Like, where did they come from? How did the weeds grow that fast? My asparagus and my zucchini aren't growing this fast, but the weeds really are. And that's how this has come upon our nation. I mean, most of us are older. We have watched this day by day, and we can't believe where we're at. How did we get here? That's the heart of Habakkuk. There's a, there's, he's saying there's a struggle in the neighborhoods. There's contention among the people. And I look at it like, what would it be like 
if we went out there and there were no stop signs, speed limits or stoplights, what would the world be like driving? That's what our society is like. There's no, there's no more rules, it seems. Or they make the rules up day by day and you have to kind of get the blog every day to know what the new deal is. Habakkuk was calling for a cleansing, a purging, a punishment, and a return to the norm that they knew. The law, the laws were ignored, and the leaders were leading that. And it's always that the people always want what the people want. And God finally says, okay, if this is what you want, I will give you a leader who facilitates what you want. And that's what happens. The wicked kings came. The wicked kings said, you want to worship the gods that the, the nations around you worship? Then, then worship them. I'll give you a king that allows you to worship that helps build their statues. And the wickedness is upon the land. And the righteous, the remnant, call out. And the Lord brings a good king. And some restoration comes. And then a wicked king comes again. And it's a repeat cycle. And that's what I feel we're at. I feel that, that Habakkuk could be right here, crying out with us. But the cure that God has is a lot worse than the problem Habakkuk is calling about. It's like our nation, Judah's been on a seesaw ride. Someone, someone who wants to do right gets in office, they try to do right, and then they're replaced by somebody who wants to pull for the treasury, go after strange gods. The law was paralyzed by the corruption of the leaders. And there's a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 811. It says, because the sentence against the evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Our default is evil. Man's default is evil. We, we're not good people. We're evil people. And it says, it's a great quote by a professor. It says, the reasonable restraints that set men free. Just like our traffic laws, the reasonable restraints that keep order in the traffic flow, God's law was a reasonable restraint that gives you freedom. Freedom is not everybody just doing whatever they want to whenever they want to. That's anarchy. That's not freedom. Freedom has to have boundaries. Or my freedom steps on your freedom. And that's what the laws are all about. Allowing me to have liberty, freedom, while you have liberty and freedom. Because freedom and liberty are not man's idea. Man's natural inclination is to oppress one another. Freedom is God's idea. Liberty is God's idea. God came with the freedom and the liberty. Israel enjoyed that liberty because of the law that they had. Ten commandments. 
They didn't have a standing army. They didn't have a police force. They had 10 commandments. Everybody obeyed the commandments. Everything worked out really nicely. People started slipping on the commandments. They started getting into problems. And this is what this, this scripture speaks of. The sentence against evil work is not executed speedily. So there's no repercussions for doing something wrong. So more people do something wrong and then they do even more wrong. They push the boundaries on what they can get away with. And we come in verse 5, and God responds to Habakkuk. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. The horsemen come galloping. The horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. The Babylonian forces, the Chaldeans, had amazing stamina and an eagerness to attack for the spoils of war. And a lot of times armies like that were like whatever you could go and grab in a city, you got to keep. So the soldiers, when they breached city walls, they went in and pilfered the city. and Whatever they could get was theirs to keep. So in addition to whatever salary they were getting paid, they got the booty, the spoils of war. And, and the way he describes it, you know, that... There's an interesting story many are probably not familiar with when the, Muslim, the Turkish Ottomans invaded Europe. When they defeated them, they got into the Turkish the Ottoman camp and they found these little beans. They were coffee beans. Came out of North Africa. They didn't understand how the Ottomans had so much stamina. They could fight at night. They could stay up. They were doing coffee. The Pope at the time said, this is evil. This is, this is the devil, the devil's being. And then they gave him a cup of coffee and he went like, but we can, we can pray and make this holy. And coffee shops started opening up in Europe. And, and this is the stamina that they're displaying. They're, they're tireless. They can keep going. Another one who was like this was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great didn't have a huge army, but he just, they just went through everywhere. He conquered the whole known world. They were swift, just like the Babylonians. God used Alexander the Great. God used Babylon. So we think, a lot of times I think we think that the forces of evil are fighting against God and God's trying to do all that he can, but God allows them to exist, raises them up. He rose up the Chaldeans, he said. I am rising up the Chaldeans. They thought it was their deal. God raised them up. God raises up nations. He raises up leaders. This is his world. This is his universe. 
And we think we're so big and we're in charge of everything and we can shake our fists at God and deny him. But that stamina that they had in Alexander the Great's armies did, they come and they change the whole dynamic. And the dynamic that Alexander the Great changed in the world is he brought the Greek language to the known world, which helped spread the gospel, having a common language. Go on to verse 9. It says, All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. Both the Syrians and the Egyptians, the two greatest powers that existed in that region, had fallen to the armies of Babylon. There was no force on earth left to oppose them. And now that God had taken his protection off of Judah... And he actually orchestrated their destruction. Verse 10 says, They mock at kings, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. They would take the destroyed parts of buildings and and dirt and build siege ramps. They had walls around cities. And an army would come and the the opposing forces would be 25, 30 feet above them in a wall. So they had to figure a way out to break down the wall. Sometimes they used catapults to throw huge stones at the wall to break them down. Sometimes they built siege ramps out of wood. Sometimes they just heap up dirt and rubble. And there's a, a great story of Alexander's conquest. And there was a prophecy against the city of Tyree. It said, your city will be turned to rubble and thrown into the ocean. And the story goes that that Tyree was forced with a siege and they retreated to an island that was just off their, their, their shore. So when the army finally broke down the walls, they weren't there. They were out on the island. And they said, what what can you do to us? You have no boats. Well, Alexander and his engineers said, no, okay, we'll build a causeway. They took all the building materials from the city and built a causeway out to the island and conquered the people. And the prophecy came to pass that their entire city was, in fact, thrown in the ocean. So this is how the mind of the conquerors worked. And it was in engineering. It wasn't just they were... They were good soldiers. They were, they were smart at engineering. So these siege walls that they built engineered the destruction of fortified cities. And it says, then they will sweep through, verse 11, then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. Who, they whose strength is their God. As though they're be, although they're being used as an instrument in God's hand, in the end, they will be held accountable for their blasphemy and idolatry. Then Habakkuk responds, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. God is everlasting. Nations and idols change, their worship changes, but God is eternal. 
He does not change. Habakkuk writes, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor? God is long-suffering and merciful. He takes no pleasure in the death of a sinner. The wicked are devouring God's chosen people, but because they've turned their back on God and gone into idol worship. Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? The Chaldeans bring all of them up with a hook, drag them away with a net, and gather them together in a fishing net. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they offer sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing nets. Because though these things, the catch is large and their food is plentiful, they will therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing. They seem to treat people like they're fish of the sea. Their power is their God. There is no satisfaction in their appetite for conquest. They have conquered every world power in the region and they hunger for more. And God's solution to the problem was worse than the problem that Habakkuk was complaining about. No one in Jerusalem would have dreamed of this. It's beyond their worst nightmare. Not only the Chaldeans rise up, but God will be the one who rises them up and let them be the instrument of his judgment upon unfaithful people. He's not done with Israel. A remnant will return. And they will become a nation for another 600 years until finally Rome crushes them at 70 AD. And for 1900 years, they have no nation. But yet a nation was born in a day in 1948. And Israel exists again. This is all a result of disobedience. We can look at the nation of Judah, but we can also look at our own personal lives. How is disobedience in our own life different than that of a nation? We have to treat this just like our lives. We have to be obedient to the Lord. Obedience better than sacrifice, it says. In these times we live in, we need to stay close to the Lord. We need to be in his word. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be one with one another. We don't know what's going to come down the pike. But as many remember what, what COVID was like, you, you needed some friends. It, I mean, what's coming might be COVID on steroids. I don't know. But we all need each other. We need fellowship. We need love. We need obedience in our life because when you are disobedient to the Lord and you're living in sin, you don't want to be near the church people. You kind of pull back a little bit. We, we really need to lament over, not over our nation. We need to lament over the way the people in our nation are treating our God. We cannot wave the flag you know, I'm proud to be an American. I'm a patriot. But I belong to God's kingdom. God is perfect in his justice and his timing. His ways are far above ours. We can't see it. We, we see things from this earthly perspective. We judge God based upon our earthly values. And we need to judge God based upon his word. People call God unjust. He is the father of justice. He can't be unjust. 
The wicked may get away for a time, but in the end, they will pay. Nobody gets away with anything. There's a season at which they frolic in their fun. You know, Job 12.23, it says, He makes the nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. It's God. God had a time for the nation of Israel, for the nation of Egypt, for the Assyrians, for the Babylonians. And we read in the book of Daniel's how God structures these kingdoms. They have a time. They're going to be replaced by other kingdoms. Everything's in the Lord's time. God is in charge. The world may look out of control. And we, like Habakkuk, say, why? Lord, explain this to me. Like somehow we deserve an explanation from the Holy God. We need to fall on our face before the God in this day and cry out for righteousness in our land for sure it doesn't mean God's going to bring revival but whatever God does in our land praise God he's the Lord and we know in the end what happens and in John 18.36 Jesus answered and said my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. And although, like I say, I'm a proud American, I'm a patriot, but I belong to the kingdom of God. That's my first kingdom. And I can't put the flag of the United States or our Constitution or anything above my relationship with God. So I can't be mad at God because something's happening in my nation. I have to be honest and truthful before God. Fall on my face before him and live righteously before him. You know, one one thing that Dave Dave is sick today. He's uh, he's not here. Dave brought up something yesterday in the men's Bible study that I found uh, very profound. He said that Many, many people remember Promise Keepers. You know, it was a movement that, that happened in the early 90s of, of men filling stadiums, being Promise Keepers. And he said that they had a, an event in Indianapolis, at the stadium in Indianapolis. And, uh, of course, when that many men come, as with any sports event or anything, all the hotels get filled up. And one of the hotels that was filled up with promise keepers. And one of the leaders of promise keepers met the owner of the hotel and he was kind of yucking him up because, hey, you guys, you know, sold us out. That's great. And, you know, he's talking to him. He was kind of sharing the Lord with him. And they agreed to have breakfast the next day. And when he had breakfast the next day, I noticed that the man's countenance had changed. And he, he said, is there there's something happened or something going on? He goes, well, he says, I, I, I spoke to my desk clerks this morning and they told me we had a windfall profit. 
He said, well, that's good, right? He said, no, the windfall profit was in the sales of adult movies. It's heartbreaking. Our sin is never secret. It's always found out. It always affects others. You know, you go, go back to Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Of course, we know the story of Joseph. His brothers threw him in a ditch, sold him a new caravan, the whole, the whole thing. He's in Potiphar's, a servant in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife is trying to make moves with him. And she sets up a whole situation where all the servants, everybody's gone. It's, oh, we're, all, we're alone now, so now you don't have anything to fear. Joseph fled. Joseph fled, and, and he was put in prison. I mean, he's like, okay, deal. God, what's the deal? I, I did the right thing, and now I'm in prison. We know the story that he becomes vice pharaoh of Egypt. And his brothers come because there's a famine in Israel. And he's able to give them supplies because the Lord gave him discernment on the Pharaoh's dream that there'd be famine. But had Joseph sinned, he wouldn't have been in that position to save the nation of Israel. So our sins always come back and find us. And this is the path that Judah got on. They started sinning. They started sinning. And then the book of the law is found. It hasn't been read. They haven't observed the Passover. And, the, and God says, the Passover is my feast. And, and I was researching this. I found out that, that even in David's time and, and Solomon's time, they weren't observing Passover. We need to be careful. And, and, and Joshua says, this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but I shall meditate on it day and night so that I may do according to all that is written in it. Then my ways will be prosperous and then I will have success. We need to hang on to God's word. We need to hang on to fellowship. We need to not veer to the right or the left that we would not be those people watching things we're not supposed to watch. Being involved with people we're not supposed to be involved with. You know, we can't go on sinning and look at our kids and go, why are they so disobedient? Like, well, maybe the, the acorn didn't fall far from the tree. I'll close with this little bit of encouragement that Jesus said. These things I've spoken to you, that you may have peace in the world, you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And the peace that he's talking about is peace with God. We're not going to have peace with this world. There's going to be tribulation with this world. And if we look for the easy way out in the world, we're going to compromise. We have to stand. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel got drug off to Babylon. And they were promised the finest food in the land. You'll get to drink the king's wine 
and have surf and turf, cracked crab, oysters, Rockefeller, the whole deal with the king. The king's food you're getting. And they said, no, we're, we're not going to do that. Can't do that. Give us vegetables. Now the eunuch in charge said, oh, you have to do that or I'm going to lose my head. I kind of like my head where it's at. So Daniel was making a stand to death. Saying, I don't want your lobster. I don't want your steak. Kill me. I would rather die than eat that. And the time might not be right now, but there may come a time where we have to make that decision. And I've heard it said that Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what they're made of till you get them in hot water. So we have to purpose within ourselves what manner of person we will be, as Peter says. Since the whole universe is going to get burnt up, what manner of person ought you to be? It's exciting times to live in. They're very exciting times to live in. The, I can tell you this from my study in eschatology, or we are one day closer to the Lord's coming than we were yesterday. One day closer. And we're all one day closer to meeting the Lord, whether he comes or we go. We're all one day closer. So draw close to the Lord. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer. God is, Jesus has given us peace with the Father. That veil is torn. We have peace with the Father. There's nothing that they can do to us outside these doors that can take that away. Fear him who can take your soul. And that one is God. Everything else, we're in close relationship with Christ. So love one another. Be in fellowship with one another. And we'll, we'll, we'll conquer. We're more than conquerors. And this message, last night I was preparing, I was like, God, it's so heavy, such a heavy message, Lord. I don't want people to stone me like they did the prophets. No stones out there, right? I don't want people to stone me, but, but the Lord said, this is my word. It's encouraging. There's encouragement in, in this that this is where disobedience brings you to. But look where obedience brings you to. So be holy in the Lord. Father, I, I thank you, Lord. It, it, was, it was a hard message to bring, Lord. I'm sure it was hard for them to speak out in the times you called them to live in, Lord. But you've called us to live in these times, Lord. And let this be an encouragement to people that, Lord, that you bless obedience, Lord. That your hand is upon us, Lord that you've called us to live in these days for such a time as this, Lord. So I bless your name this morning, Lord. I pray a blessing on everyone here, Lord, that their health would be strong, Lord. Their immune systems would be strengthened, Lord. That their heart would be to know you more, Lord, to dive into your word, Lord. To not let that book of the law be lost. But let them meditate on it day and night, as Joshua said, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I pray a blessing on Kathy and Greg as they're away, Lord, that you would just refresh and restore and renew them, Lord. And everyone who couldn't be here this morning, we bless them, Lord. We just strengthen everyone's marriages, Lord, their love for one another, Lord. 
We give you this day, in Jesus' name, amen.